Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the David and David on Real Estate, and a happy new year to everybody. Wishing everybody a very prosperous um, and a very uh, amazing 2022. And today is a great day because we are on podcast number 26. 26. Yeah, happy New Year's, everybody. And, and, and I'm still in the festive mood. I'm wearing my, my festive New Year's shirt today. And, and we've talked about mentors before and role models. To me, it's this guy, Chevy Chase. <laughs> I've learned so much from Chevy, how to be a father, how not to be a father. Um, anyways, he's one of the, my all-time favorite comedians. My kids refer to me um, as uh, Clark Griswold affectionately all the time from the vacation movies because I tend to do some of the things that, that Chevy did to get his family together and to um, and to enjoy stuff the way Chevy did in those movies. So Clark, he's Clark Griswold to me, and he's one of my heroes. And, and we always talk about mentors. Nobody has done it more for me than this guy. Dave, does your house look like uh, their house did back uh, back in the day? <laughs> no, no, and and no family truckster. Although we had a family truckster when my kids were younger, we had some vacations just like them, and it was. Um, anyways, we we still enjoy watching those movies, and my kids uh, poke fun of me as being Clark Griswold, and I I wear it proudly. I wear it very proudly. You know, it's funny the memories we have from growing up, and and you always remember those you know, those uh, irregular family stories, those irregular vacations, right? Where yeah. you know, things weren't perfect, but you guys were together. Right. And, and that's what mattered the most, right? Right. And, and it's the misadventures that you remember more than when everything goes as planned. Yeah. You know, like we had a couple, you know, drives down to Florida, you know, with three kids loaded up in the van and, you know, and all the fighting that goes on. And, you know, yeah. and, and there was one scene in, in the vacation where they say, you know, what, you know, what's that smell that from the back seat, you know, and it, we've experienced like a wrong turn, you go off the track, you, something happens, you know, it, that's the stuff you remember the most, um, not when everything goes as planned. So it's uh, in spite of our best efforts to, uh, to keep things going smoothly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no different in the business world, too. We plan, we plan, we plan. And there's always something that comes up that's unexpected and throws us a curve. And that's the stuff that becomes memorable and how we react to that and how we deal with that. That's, uh, you know, what makes or breaks us as, as, as business owners and, and leaders of, of groups and things like that, right? Absolutely. And, and if, if business has taught me anything, it's taught me that whatever life throws at you, you have the resources and ability to persevere, get through, and become stronger on the other side. Like the world has infinite amount of resources. You know, as a business person, you just have to tap into the right network and ask for help and, and look in the right places and work hard and you will get through anything. Right, right. And you, and you have to accept the idea that you don't have all the answers. And that you could be wrong with what your initial reaction would be. And so you have to be open to, to getting help, to, uh, you know, to finding the, the right answers, to doing research. And to one of the hardest things to accept is that you might be wrong. You know, like you're, you're a really bright guy, David. And, uh, you know, and most of the stuff that you do you, you're, is well thought out. And everything. But occasionally you could be wrong. And you have to be open to that idea that somebody else might know something or have more information than you do. And I think that's a real valuable lesson. And to, to take input from other people. And, you know, and I, I always try and be very open to that in, in our law firm, whether it's from other lawyers, from clerks, from information from clients, from, you know, your feedback I get from you, you know, and, and other brokers and agents and things like it all, you know, I'm open to all of that stuff. There's always a way to improve. There's always a way to get through a situation because you don't always have the answer. So the smart 100%. thing is to know that you don't always have the answers, but you can know where you can try and get them or try and figure it out. Well, don't Einstein pretend you know that. it when you don't know it. That was Einstein's really big thing is he said to, you know, I, I can't remember, I, I don't remember the context. I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but he basically said, listen, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know exactly where to find it. And, and yeah. that is more powerful than, you know, having an encyclopedia in your head. And, and he's absolutely right. Cause 
you know, it's the street smart ability to, to solve those complex problems by knowing who to ask, where to look, and, and how to navigate. And you're not going to do it if you if you put your hands up and say, okay, I can't do this. This can't be done. You know, it starts right. from a belief. You have to know that, you know, whatever problems 2022 is going to throw at you, okay, we're going to solve them together. Right. And, you know, and you have your regular business issues that come up as you're a, an expanding business, like you are, like, like we are at our firm. So there's, you, you can't do things the same way you did when you were a smaller brokerage. We can't do this thing. Something's the same way we did when we were a smaller law firm with less lawyers, less clerks. We have to adapt. We have to keep uh, evolving. And we don't have all the answers. We got to keep changing. We got to be open to ideas of how we, how we do that, how technology's changing all the time. Like we got brand new systems coming in that we started using now that, that you, know, you wouldn't recognize the way we close transactions now from uh, a couple of years ago. It's like it's night and day. The technology has changed. And some of it was driven by COVID, right? And actually, David, I wanted to talk to you about that. It's probably an off-air conversation, but I'm going to mention it on there because um, I know the kind of relationship we have with your law firm. But I know that um, on your transaction software, there's a way to integrate it with our backend, right? And, yeah. and that's something that you know we're looking at and we're exploring our side so, yeah. I mean, it'd be great to work together and to, you know, get that system that talks and, and work and, and, you know, uh, work seamlessly because the whole goal here is to make sure that our client experience, which is our mutual client experience, is the best that it can be. Right. And, and those systems are all happening. The technology is there and it's all being done in a secure fashion, too. And, uh, you know, that, that our system will be able to speak to your system more directly. You're going to send us a commission statement. Instead of emailing it to us, you just upload it into a system that we can that we access and you access and we get it and it's still secure and there's still checks and balances and things like that. But you know, that's all available. It's just a matter of us tweaking it and getting used to the systems and, and implementing it now. And it's it's great. We've got brand new technology that we're using now for our, all our client meetings, you know, which which came out of having Zoom meetings and, and virtual meetings and stuff. But now we can do it. Nobody has to download software. They just click on a link and we can have a video conference with them and they can get the documents instantly there and they can sign digitally, uh, oh, you know, virtually. And, and we don't, they don't have to print out documents anymore and then sign them and then send them back to us. Like, and it's secure. And as soon as we finish the meeting, you know, they get a copy instantly now and it's just, it's there. And we get a copy of the signed documents instantly like tremendous advances. And I think this was all pushed ahead because of COVID. I think it's all available to us now. Maybe we wouldn't have had this if we hadn't had COVID and sort of been forced into, you know, advancing these systems faster, right? And then once you have it, like there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. We're not going back, right? No, no, you always want to keep moving forward. But no, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think adversity, you know, instills innovation right because you know like when you look at how you're doing business now versus how you did business two years ago you look back and you're like how do we ever survive you know with all this right. paper and you know face-to-face uh, -face meetings and you know a client has to take time off work come drive down to the office and you know now everything is so seamless and so easy and you know you can spend more time on the things that are really important like you know if if a client has a uh, a question about something really important about the document now you have more time to spend with the client and explain that to them versus on the administrative side of closing the transaction yeah yeah and it it really helps and uh you know, and, and then the meetings can be recorded just like this is being recorded. There's, you know, the, the discussions that we had, the explanation, it's all being recorded. It can be used again. Uh, there's so many advantages to it. And, uh, you, you know, we just got to keep looking for the next advance in technology and look at your industry. How would you guys have been the last two years during COVID if there was no such thing as a DocuSign type of system and you had to physically get together with your buyers and your sellers to to sign the agreements purchase to sell and initial all the changes and, and all the back and forth. If that hadn't, you, you were lucky that was already in place in your industry before COVID. If we were both lucky, right? Because without our industry, I mean, you, there would be no deal, right? And I, I can guarantee you, David, that 
And I mean, we were close. Remember when the government first announced its uh, essential business list? Yeah. We're back for a yep. period of 24 hours, announced that real estate is not essential, right? Yep. And then we quickly backtracked, right? Yep. But if we did not have the Electronic Signatures um, Act um, and, and we did not have DocuSign, I, would, I think there would be a strong argument that we would not be classified as essential because the risk would be right. just far too great. The risk of- would have been too great because you have to get the parties together to sign initial to negotiate. Uh, I, I agree with you. So I think we, we got lucky there. You know, my industry wasn't like that. We still, in those days, we still had to physically get together and sign paper, but that quickly evolved. And the government stepped in quickly and said, because uh, the missing piece of our puzzle for doing it was swearing a document, an affidavit or a declaration, which, which needed an in-person meeting. You couldn't do it through Zoom or a video conference. And then they passed legislation pretty quickly to allow that to happen. You know, certain things you know, had to be in place, but you could do that. So all of a sudden, we, we now could do virtual meetings. You know, who knows how long it would have taken for the government to pass that if we weren't, if we didn't have COVID, right? And, you know, yeah, it's a good thing. Make sure it's done properly. Make sure it's done securely and, you know, respect privacy laws, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's ways to do that. And, and it's the technology. It's working, it's working really well. Oh, it, it's worked beautifully. Yeah. You know, I don't think we've had one transaction in two years that was really, it had to be extended purely for COVID reasons. You know, be, you know not, it's never because the documents weren't ready or the parties weren't ready for, for that. Uh, you know, we had all these COVID clauses that everybody was scrambling to get two years ago, you know, they, you know, in case things got shut down or rights of parties to extend. We never implement those clauses. We like they're, you know, it was great to do them initially to put them in and then and people are still putting them in, but we never use them. Uh, so that's pretty damn good, you yeah. know, two years later that we've been able to just continue on and at least have a real estate market, uh, a thriving real estate market in yeah. the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. And, and David, I wanted to get into it and I wanted to give you guys a market update because um, really what's happening out there is, is absolutely uh, unprecedented. And I wanted to share two stories with you guys. Okay. The first story is kind of a funny story. I have a really good friend of mine that's a real estate investor and he focuses on a geographic area and he always religiously looks at realtor.ca to see you know, what's listing, what's being sold um, and, and, and just does his market research. So he calls me yesterday and he says, David, um, is realtor.ca down? And I said to him, realtor.ca down? No, as far as I know, the website is up. Why are, why are you asking me? He's like, well, because between, uh, you know, Mavis and Eglinton and all the way to 10th line, north of the 403, there is not even one house listed for sale. So he's like, I went to realtor.ca and I looked at the map and then I closed my browser and I opened up a new browser and I went back to realtor.ca because I just, I thought it was broken. And that is the story of our supply yeah. and record low inventory levels of what we're experiencing. There are no listings on the market. One of my realtors uh, booked an appointment to show a property in Barrie, 2,100 square foot house, four bedroom, unfinished basement. The house was built probably in the mid eighties. Um, nothing special, cookie cutter subdivision home. It was an estate sale. It was listed at 740000 five days before New Year's. Yeah. And the five days preceding New Year's, they had over 100 showings. Wow. And on January 2nd, they received 46 registered offers on the property. That's and unbelievable. Look at the amount of time you got to take to go through that. Well, and and that's just it. This is my next point. In the 14 years I've been practicing real estate, I have never seen a realtor send a message to everybody that showed property saying, please don't send us any more offers. Wow. We're we're not looking at any more offers. Like, I mean, that the idea of a realtor saying that they don't want any more offers is pretty right. right? Because he wants to act in the best interest of the seller. You want to create you know, the maximum level of hype and competition to get the maximum amount of money for your seller. And yeah. for a realtor to actually say, please do not send us any more offers. We have 46 offers. We're 
you know, we like, we don't know what to do with these offers. Uh, just really goes to speak to what is really happening in the market, the type of demand, the amount of buyers looking, the, the, the shortage of uh, opportunities and listings out there. And, and, and you know what, everybody's feeling frustrated. You know, I'm getting constant calls from realtors, you know, feeling frustrated, putting in two offers a day, missing out, losing, uh, you know, to a stronger offer. And, and it, it's, it's really difficult out there. No, it, it is. It puts a lot of pressure on the agents. It puts pressure on us too. Like we feel it with status certificate reviews, right? You know, on on condos that have multi offers and and uh, you know and reviewing the staffs in advance of making an offer. And you know, and the agents know. Well, we're going in. We know there's eight other offers, ten other offers. We need to review this. You know, can you review this in the next hour, or two hours? We got to go put in a clean offer tonight. And you know, we scramble to do it. And then, and then of course, they say, you know, how come you charged us so much for uh, for reviewing this in a rush and stopping your day and and spending two hours on a rush to review this? We didn't get the deal. And, well, you know, but we have to we have to get paid too. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot of time. You know, as you know, to go through a status certificate, and and that's hard for them too because then they're moving on to the next condo and they might lose that one and then the third one. And, you know, and sometimes it's four or five before they hit on one, right? Some. You know, some decide to go out of the market for a while and then and and sit on it till they come back. It puts a lot of pressure on everybody. We just need that supply to get out there. And unfortunately, it's early January, and in the in a typical year, with no COVID, no nothing, January is generally slow. There's hardly anything on the market usually in January, and it starts to ramp up as you, you get into you know February a little more and a little more in, in March, and then then you have a spring market. So. Hopefully the same thing happens this year. Well, from what I'm seeing, David, I'm predicting, you know, a crazy 2022, you know, and, and with the shutdowns and the fragility of our economy, you know, a lot of people thought that they're going to raise rates at, at some point this year. And, you know, I think more and more when you look at the, the context of our economy and what's happening, I, I think there's going to be a, a larger and larger argument that their hands are going to be tied and they're not going to be able to raise rates in this environment, right? Which is going to, again, translate to double digit increases in prices in, in our real estate market. Yeah. And the only thing that's really going to bring down pricing is there for to be a lot of supply to come on, right? So, you know, rates, they might move up, but I think I agree with you. It's probably going to be marginal, like really slow, uh, you know, slow trickle up, you know, of it and not a dramatic increase. I, I think there's still, because of these, you know, lockdowns and slowdowns, whatever you want to call it again, uh, there's pressure on the government to not kill the economy and do what you can to keep it going. And one of the things that's been driving the economy that has been able to function is the real estate industry. Well, it's, imagine it's if, we were, if we were in the restaurant business and doing these podcasts. <laughs> that would be an interesting conversation. And I mean, you know, my, my, my heart goes out to all small business owners are affected by, by our current situation. I mean, I can't imagine how tough it must be on everybody um, and, and what, you know, people are feeling out there. So, um, you know, if you're one of the people that's affected by, by what's going on, you know, you have my, my, my sincere sympathies because, nothing's harder in the world than, you know, not knowing uh, what the state of your business is going to be like tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, while things were a little more open, uh, we, you know, my wife, Marla, and I used the opportunity to get out to a few restaurants and, and meet with some friends at some restaurants. And you know, originally it was outdoors in, in, in areas that were created, which was fabulous. I love eating outside. And, and eventually we even had a couple indoor restaurant experience, which was all great, but we talked to, you know, we're going back to restaurants that we know, and we've, you know, we've been there before and we know the owners and we've had discussions with them and the staff and, and some of them, like they created these great outdoor spaces that, you know, you got to keep this permanent. Like, this is great. It's great to come here in the, you know, for the six months that you can and sit outside. It's, it's great. He said, you know, I would, but I, I can't get staff and every, we heard the same thing from everybody. They don't have enough staff to service wherever it is. So some that had outdoors, they moved everything indoors because they couldn't do both. They didn't have staff to deal with both indoor and outdoor. And then even they moved back indoors to their regular space, they couldn't open up the full restaurant because they couldn't get staff. So many other staff, you, you can't blame them, but they bailed. 
because they weren't getting paid, right? They got to find another industry. So, so that whole industry is really struggling. You know, it's tough enough to be an owner. And then, and then the owners, when they want to be open, they can't get people to work. Yeah, because they rely heavily on on tips to subsidize their wages, right? Yeah, it's, uh, that that's a real problem, you know. And, and you want some steady work, not like okay, this week you're allowed to be open, next week uh, Doug Ford says no, and now we're closed again. I'm back sitting at home earning zero money, and you know, I like so they hang around for a while, and eventually they say, okay, I got to go find another industry, industry to work in that pays more steady. Yeah. yeah, we're in the era of the great resignation, David. And I mean, we see it all the time. You know, workers are, are expecting um, more benefits, more flexibility, more pay, right? Um, and, and a different way of doing business. You know, we're in the era of Amazon where anybody can start their own business from home and, and earn passive income and, mm -hmm. and subsidize their earnings. And you know, it's, it's, it's hard for conventional businesses to compete unless, you know, you change your business as well, right? Like we talked about pricing, we talked about, you know, value adding, we talked about customer service. You have to be at the top of your game in order to survive in this industry because you can't charge or discount your services and pay your staff really well, right. you know, you just right. can't do it. Right. right. It all comes a full uh, 360. Right. So, you know, and, and, you know, just like agents are calling and asking why you're charging to review status certificates, you're doing it so that you have the staff on hand to be able to provide that level of service. And, and, and you know what, we all have to start working more together and understand each other's businesses. And I feel like with realtors, there's a big disconnect understanding what the costs are of running an actual business. Right, which is one of the things that we really try to teach our new realtors um, at Sutton Summit is what you know, running a business is not about not everything is about revenue, right? There's expenses in running a business too. And you know, it's easy to spend money and have big revenue numbers, but it's what you take home at the end of the year that ultimately matters the most. Right. Right. And and when you're right. running a really successful business you have to focus on your expenses, right? You have to focus on your revenue, right? But most importantly, you have to charge enough so that you can pay your employees enough so you can deliver that exceptional customer service. Right. And it's cheap these days. Right. And, and you have to provide a proper level of service. Uh, a status certificate, just to get back, it takes a long time to review a status certificate properly. And, Those and we, documents you know, are, you it's know, an hour or two hours, like minimum, depending on the product. Sometimes you're more, you might be familiar with the building or something. You may have done one recently. So maybe it's going to take you less time, but it takes a long time. There's a lot of documents. There's a lot of issues to go through. And then we provide a summary for it. And, and a lot of times we, as a lawyer, sometimes the lawyer on the file will spend more time reviewing a status certificate than on the closing process. You know, th there's, there's issues that come up and that takes time. And it takes time to do it properly. And I do know for a fact that there are some lawyers out there that aren't charging for that. And guess how much time they're spending on reviewing the status certificate and how thorough a job they're doing, right? So, you know, it's the old adage, you get what you pay for. And, and, and I can tell you something else, David. In the last two weeks, I had a couple agreements that came in, unconditional, condo deals, no status certificate condition, and there was no review of a status certificate, okay, in advance. Firm deals. And because the agents said, you know what, competitive market, you know, we, we don't have a chance to review status. We're not going to do it. Let's just, if we want this property, we got to go in without looking at a status certificate. And then we get, then we still have to order one because buyer still needs to know what's in it. We have to know what, the, what issues there are. The lender's not going to lend without, without a status certificate knowing what the issues are the title insurer is not going to insure it we still have to review it so we still have to get it we still have to review it so and now when we do review we find issues we can't go back on the seller for it it's the buyers bought those issues and we've had issues on on one of these files where they may not get their loan because there's issues in the building and now their lender is doesn't want to lend and the title insurance companies don't want to insure and 
so you yeah. you know i know you're telling your agents i certainly tell you when i like never do that don't ever do that you just can't and david it's so easy in this market right because you really want to get that deal you've went through 10 offers and you lost 10 offers and you know if i just submit an offer without a condition maybe i'll get it this time right don't fall in that trap guys right and and, and you know what we recorded some amazing podcasts. We recorded one on condominium status certificates where we talked at length about all the processes, what to do, how to safeguard your clients. Highly, highly, highly recommend you guys go back to that podcast. And the other one that comes to mind, David, is um, how to deal with multiple offers in this market, right? Yeah. It was like another phenomenal podcast that we recorded. Yeah, you gave some great, great tips, advice on that one. It was, I thought it was brilliant. Like I learned a lot of stuff from it. I thought it was great strategies. And uh, I encourage everybody to go back and listen to, to that one. Yeah, really I, I, I had a call just before we jumped on this podcast today from um, you know one of our realtors. And she asked me if she can take a personal check for her client an offer presentation and i said to her well if that client changes their mind can they call the bank and put a stop payment on that personal check and she said well of course and i said well why would you ask any seller to accept that then how right. is that any different than not delivering a check right so she got it very quickly and was very thankful for the advice and I explained to her, I said, look, you, you have to sit in front of the sellers or, or somehow get in front of the sellers and, 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 and sell the benefit of having that deposit check with in hand along with your offer presentation. Yeah. Because there's huge benefits to, to doing that, right? And that's just a small trick to, to getting ahead, uh, you know, and then standing out and if there's 46 offers on the table. But David, we're running short on time and we have an amazing, um, amazing topic for today. We wanted to talk about the pitfalls of yeah. the agreement yeah. of purchase and sale. Yeah, you know what, it's, it's early in a new year and it's a good time in, in your business and my business and I'm sure other businesses too, as you sort of take stock of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so we thought it'd be a good time to just review some of the some of the things you know just like we were talking about like status certificates you know um pitfalls and things where people get themselves in trouble as agents and as buyers and as sellers um and just some some stuff you know it's almost common sense some of it but there's things that you have to remind yourself and it's just good for anybody to do a refresher once in a while in the beginning of a year is a good time when you're not as busy with other things and just get your you know, it's best practices, principles, just make sure you're practicing properly, right? Maybe make sure you're, you're doing these things. So we thought it'd be a good thing to, to do it. And it all, and it starts in, in your business, my business with knowing your client, like you have to know your, your client, who they are, what they're about, what's this transaction? Are they buying a property? Is it an investment property? Is it more than one person buying it? Are they husband and wife? Uh, are they going to be buying it as joint tenants, as tenants in common? What's the difference? You know, you got to make sure you understand these things. If you're on the selling side, who's selling it? Who's the proper party to put on an agreement of purchase sale as the seller? Uh, how do you deal with a power of attorney if, for someone? You know, how do you, uh, you reflect that in your in your documents on an agreement of purchase and sale? Um, is it being sold by an estate? Did one of the parties um, pass away? I think I gave you that story a little while ago in one of our podcasts where we were right up to closing. And there's three people that were sellers and no one told us that one of them had died six months before that. That would have been useful information for us to know, right? And, and the agent knew about it. No one told, no one told the lawyers. Oh yeah, yeah, there's three people. One of them died six months ago. And we didn't, we find that out like just before closing. So uh, it, it's important to know that. You have to know your clients, you have to know their situation. As an agent, you have to know their, their financial condition. Are they applying for a mortgage? Can they get a mortgage? If, if they're buying, are they using a mortgage broker? What information can you as an agent help them with to, uh, to make sure that they get pre-approval for their financing? And, and we've discussed that in previous pockets. What is pre-approval? Make sure it's real. And we talked about that when we had the Elan Weintraub on, you know, the different levels of, you know, what's a real mortgage approval and what is, yeah, here's a mortgage approval, but it's subject to 20 conditions. And some of them may never meet. So how good is that pre-approval? Right. So there's a lot of value you can add as an agent by doing 
your homework and going the extra step for that thing. And if you're on the sales side in a prop and they want to sell a property, you know, how much, what do they have uh, that's uh, encumbrancing that property? They have a mortgage, they got a line of credit. Do they owe money to the CRA? Are, are, is there outstanding property tax bills and water bills? Uh, because at the end of the day, if you do the math, there may not be enough money to pay everybody to close the transaction, right? So you as a seller, the seller's agent should be figuring that out and looking into that. Um, and by the way, the listing brokerage is responsible for the listing commission if there's a shortfall, right? So, uh, I mean, our office policy is that we have a mortgage verification document that we get the uh, seller to fill out and sign. Yeah. And in case they don't have all their uh, mortgage information on file, <clears throat> we, uh, you know, we, we send that uh, mortgage form to their bank. And we ask the bank to fill it out and fill in those details because we want to make sure there's adequate funds. And that protects the buyer agent, right, on the transaction as well. Right. And, and we run into those transactions where, you know, we're going to close and it's borderline whether there's going to be enough money to pay everybody. And then if, if and then who's not going to get paid? And are there, are there other funds? You know, we, we close sale transactions where we literally are waiting for the seller to deliver us a check, certified funds, because we need that money in order to pay everybody on closing. This so those get pretty complicated sometimes yeah. because it's the more to be the line of credit get paid, property taxes get paid, the utility bill has to get paid, balance of commissions have to get paid, the legal bills have to get paid, and it turns out CRAs owed money and they can trump everybody. Yeah. Right. And and a lot of the times, you know, negotiations happen the eleventh hour by the seller trying to negotiate some of these amounts down so he can close which kind of adds more fuel to the fire because then there's delays. And, and, and a lot of the times people who are in a lot of debt, you know, there's, there's penalties for not closing on time. And you know, sometimes if a mortgage renews automatically, there's renewal fees and, and, and mortgage renewal fees and they can get extremely uh, uh, expensive. Well, one of the big ones that we see that's a deal killer sometimes is prepayment penalties on a mortgage. Okay, because it wasn't anticipated and, and just wasn't thought, of, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I have a penalty, but, you know, how much could it possibly be? And it turns out to be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars sometimes, depending on the mortgage that they had. And sometimes, you know, they, nobody brought it to the seller's attention that that's a possibility. And all of a sudden, there, there isn't enough money because you've got these huge prepayment penalties to pay. Yeah. Right. Here's a tip for, for somebody who has a fixed mortgage that's looking to sell their house. Um, a lot of the times they'll have prepayment abilities, right? They can prepay 15% or 10% mm -hmm. or 20% of their mortgage in a given year. Yep. If you know you're going to be paying like a massive mortgage penalty for discharging your mortgage, I would prepay that mortgage as much as possible to bring down that penalty as much as possible, you know, literally before closing. Right. So if you have right. an unsecured line of credit or if you have some funds or you can borrow some funds, pay down that mortgage 15 percent because right. that literally decreases your penalty by 15 percent as well. Right. And when you're talking about, you know, a forty thousand dollar penalty. Fifteen percent is six thousand dollars. You know, that's an easy thing to do to save six thousand uh, dollars of fees. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great tip and great advice. And, and a lot of our clients do take advantage of that. But, you know, we always have to remind ourselves, like, you're in the business, I'm in the business. Um, the clients don't know this, right? They're only doing so many transactions a year. They may have had that mortgage, you know, for who knows how many years, and they never even thought of it, right? So somebody has to tell them about this. So, you know, it, it's usually someone in your position, the real estate, you know, way before it becomes uh, to the lawyer, sometimes it's, you know, we already, we don't get involved till the agreement's already signed and we're working towards a closing. And now we get a, a mortgage discharge statement that shows a penalty of $15,000 that the seller had no idea was coming. Right. So they're going to go back to the agent who, who is doing all the math and say, Oh, you should sell this property. This is how much you're going to get. And this is after commissions, you're going to walk away with this and then you're going to put that in your next property. Well, did you, you know, how come you didn't let us know that there was this prepayment penalty, right? So that comes back like at your, honestly, at your agents more than it's, it's not the lawyer's issue usually. Yeah, I mean, they should. I mean, listen, we're professionals. 
And, and we need to have these tough conversations with, with our clients. And, you know, yes, it's easy to, again, focus on the transaction. I want to get a listing. You know, I want to get a sale, right? right? But you need to sit down with the seller and you need to go through, you know, these conversations because nothing worse than, you know, at the end of the day, getting that discharge statement. And some of these penalties could be high. Like, David, what's the highest discharge penalty that you've seen? On a residential oh, transaction in, in the fifty thousand dollars range, fifty thousand dollars for a mortgage penalty. Right now, so, imagine if you're selling your house, and the bank knocks on your door at the end and says, "Oh, you already have a firm agreement to sell. Oh, that's that's great. Let us get this two hundred page contract out, and we'll start calculating." And they come back to you say and say to you that you have a fifty thousand dollar penalty. Like, I mean. I, I would I would be extremely upset as a seller. Right. And you know, and how about this as an agent? Okay. Just like you've you've pointed out, they've got a prepayment right in their mortgage. They get pay it down 15%, you know, once every 12 months, something like that. Right. So when is that 12 month date? So maybe it's January 31st. That's a good so, point. You know what? We don't want to sell your property right now. Between now and January 31st, you're going to make a 15% payment. Now we're getting to February, you can make another 15% payment. So we want to close after that payment. So we're going to close in February, Mar late February, March or something instead of now, right? Look at that date. Like that's crucial. You can double up on what this payment is. If you just know, if you do a little bit of homework and find out what that date is. Yep. And just for, you know, for people uh, listening to follow on the math, $50,000, 15% uh, um, before, 15% after the anniversary date, that's 30%. 50,000, 30% is $15,000. Right. Right. So, so that penalty goes down from 50,000 to $35,000. And listen, $15,000, that's a lot of money in your pocket. Right. You know, and, that, and that's obviously, you know, an extreme example. But even if, it, if the numbers are lower, it's, uh, lower, it still makes a lot of sense if you could do that. And all you have to do is look at what that date is. Right. And you as an agent might be doing good. You know what? It doesn't make sense for you to sell right now in your financial situation because you can't double up on your prepayment. You got six months to go. So when we're not going to sell it in January, let's wait till June. Let's wait till you can do that. Now, you as an agent, you, you know, may, yeah, you're, you're hungry. You want a commission in January, but you're not servicing your client properly. You might be better. So, you know what? I'm going to let's let's do this in June. We'll have a good market in June. You get to prepay it. Your, your mortgage down more, it would make more sense to, to do it then. And now, now, you, now the, the client loves you, you know, because you're not just a hungry agent looking for a commission. You're actually looking out for their best interests. At the end of the day, you're still going to get a sale. You're still going to get your commission. You're just going to not get it in January. You're going to wait till June because that's better for your client. And, and you know what? Showing that you care and, and being that, you know, advisory member of, of this person's team is going to lead to more referrals and more business down the line. Maybe, you know what, maybe you're not going to get that sale today, right? Because maybe you have that tough conversation. They check what the um, uh, penalty is and, you know, maybe they need to wait six months and, and you're just like, oh man, I, you know, who knows what the market's going to be like six months from now. But what you've done is you've gained the trust and loyalty of this client. Right. Right. And now they're sending their friends, they're sending their children, they're sending, you know, their loved ones, they're sending the people that they care and trust about to you because they know that you're going to take care of them every step of the way and they trust you. And, and that is the biggest thing. You know, it's part of your brand. It's part of your long term business vision. And it's part of who you are at a very core level. And, and that's what people want. That's what's going to get you to that next level of success. Right. And, you know, and that's the sort of whole focus of this topic that we're on. It's how do I become better at doing my job? Because if I become better, I'm really doing it for my clients. Okay. They get the benefit of me becoming better, whether I'm a better lawyer or you're a better real estate agent or a better broker owner they become the beneficiaries of that knowledge. You're, you're going the extra mile, you're, you're looking at the detail, you're giving them the proper explanations, and you're always doing it in their best interest, not in your best interest, okay? And like you said, if you do that, you're gonna make a client and you're gonna get the referrals and they're gonna make your, you know, your long-term 
uh, goals are going to be achieved much faster by taking that approach to it. Not, oh, I need the fast kill. I need the, I need that commission in January, you know, like that, that should never be approached. So, you know, another issue, you know, just to move on a little bit, you know, we find some of the agents getting in trouble with is in the dates that have to go into an agreement of purchase and sale. They really have to be mindful of those dates. And there's a few key dates that have to go in there. You know, it starts with the irrevocable date just on agreement of purchase and sale, making sure that's dealt with properly and you get proper signbacks and things like that. Uh, you have to have, there's a date for when we can search title and do title requisitions. Those dates are really important. Make sure, you know, we've had agents that, you know, put a date that's already passed in agreement of purchase and sale or give you one day to do a title search that can't be done in a day, we, you know, there's a date put in, we don't receive the agreement for sale till three days after that date. Now, if we search title, we have no recourse back against the, the seller. So you gotta be very careful with those dates. And then the closing date, you gotta pick a realistic completion date, make sure that, you know, people can meet it. Um, for the most part, I get asked all the time, you know, if we close this in two weeks, can you do that? Is that enough time for you to close a deal? My answer is always yes. Whether we're buying, we're selling, we can get it done because it's usually not at our end that would hold it up. If I got to pay someone overtime because we're really up to you know, full capacity to do it, I'll, I'll get someone to, to do it. But it's generally driven not by the, the lawyer's office, it's driven by, um, by the mortgage financing and when can you actually get the loan and how fast can they process that. So you know, so you got to be careful as an agent what you're committing your client to, you know, yeah, and fast closing, but can we get it closed? Right. You have to have clear communications with all the different professionals. Right. So your mortgage agent, right? Um, everybody needs to be on the same page because just like you said, you know, a lot of the delays happen from, you know, things that you and I cannot control. Like we can't control how quickly a bank funds or how quickly right. an underwriter, you know, looks at a file or, or, or how quickly, you know, somebody from a, a higher level um, makes an exception on file and, and, and moves things forward. Like the mortgage agent can control those things to some extent, depending on the relationship they have. But remember, banks are, are, are huge, multi-level bureaucratic organizations that have been around for hundreds of years and, and they have their own internal processes that they need to follow. Yeah, and, and they've got certain limitations even imposed by COVID. Bank hours are shorter, you know, their staff's working from home, their staff's getting sick too. You know, just like, you know, you're experiencing your office, we're experiencing our office, banks have those issues too, people calling in because there's, you know, they're getting sick and, and, and they're following protocols because somebody else they were exposed to got sick. There's a lot of factors in this now. So they got to be careful and make sure before you commit to a date that you can meet those dates. They also have to take care to make sure they, they're describing the pro proper legal description. Uh, that goes into the document, you know, whether there's easements or there aren't the easements, you know, those things are important to know if it's a condo, are there parking units, are there locker units, are they described properly, you know, where are they, you know, attention to detail is, is really important and, and you got to be careful with those things. And, and parking spaces are a big one on, on condo documents, right, especially from a negotiation point of view, if you can get a condo certificate and see that there's two parking spaces with the unit, but the seller's only selling one. A lot of the times it's a complete different conversation if you include the second unit ahead of the negotiation process yeah. than it is after you negotiate a price and then you want to add the second unit to the purchase price. You know, and let me tell you, if if a buyer finds out that there was a second parking spot that's owned by the seller. And then, you know, subsequently, they're forced to pay a higher fee for it. They're going to be really upset at the realtor that he didn't catch that at the beginning and include it in the actual negotiations. Because, you know, a lot of the times, hey, I'm going to give you an extra $10,000 over and above what your expectation is, is going to be enough to get that second parking space. But once you agree to that price, you want to talk about that second parking space no, you're going to be looking at completely different figures, right? Depending on where you are, Toronto, 40, 50, 60,000, right? When you go further out, you know, Burlington, 25, 30,000, it, it really depends. A lot of the times, if you just say, hey, you have two parking spaces, we're just going to, we want two, we need two parking spaces. Otherwise, we're not bringing you an offer, completely yeah. different conversation at the beginning, uh, having that conversation up front. I'm always amazed that people that would buy a condo and never, you know, they look at the unit 
the living, the dwelling unit, but they never went to look at the parking spaces to see where they are, to see, if they, to see if they could fit their car in there because they got to scrape past a pole to get it in there. Um, and where's the locker? Where's the access locker? How big is it? How useful is it? And they never even look. And sometimes we've had clients that, oh, there's two parking spaces that comes with this. That's great. Turns out it's a tandem parking unit. No one ever looked at it. No one ever went to see it. And they said, I don't want a tandem parking. It means every time my wife pulls it out, I got to go and move my car so she could get her car. And like, you know, for some people that's great and they don't care and they'd rather have the extra spot. And if that's what gives it to them, then fine. But to other people, that's, that's a deal breaker, yeah. right? So why not you know, go take a look at it? I've been in one of those situations, David. And what I used to do is I used to have both sets of car keys in both cars. But let me tell you, it's it's not a fun situation to be in. Yeah, yeah. Look, and parking underground parking in a condo is, is isn't easy for some people. It's tough. You you go look at any pool in underground parking, and they're just filled with scrapes. And you look at all the cars that park there. So you want to know where your parking spot and how easy it is to to get in and out, and how close is that to an elevator if you're an elderly person? Like you know, that's a critical issue for some people. You know, if they if they have to. You know, if they're right at the end of a parking garage, they got a long way to get to an elevator. Like that's really significant for somebody who's elderly or might have a handicap or something like that. So why not go take a look at it before you put an offer in? And, and at, least, at least rely on the agent should be looking at it and to tell you where it is and describe it to you. But someone should be looking, right? Yeah. And David, it's one of those things that arguably you're going to come into contact with and interact and use every single day sometimes multiple times a day, right? So if you have a parking space that's, you know, on a corner and far from the elevator and in and, and the dark space in the garage and there's a big fan that's blowing dust on your, on your brand new Corvette, <laughs> right? Like that should influence, you know, what the spot is worth to you, what the condo is worth to you and whether you want it or not. And, and I absolutely agree with you that realtors need to spend a little bit more time and, and protect their buyers. Yeah. So uh, another issue that comes up a lot of times is chattels and fixtures. Confusion over what's a chattel, what's a fixture, what's supposed to stay, what's not supposed to stay, because there's a standard clause. I know that you know it. Um, I'm surprised that not all the agents deal with it properly. And there's a, a clause that says, you know, the following chattels are included. And that's where you list you know, chattels are, are movable things, things like washers, dryer, the appliances are generally in there and anything else that you want included. If there's other furniture you want included, if you want the, the window coverings and the blinds included, make sure you put it in there. So there's no ambiguity. Is it, was it a fixture? Is it supposed to stay? Is it not supposed to stay? Which light fixtures, you know, if there's particular value to the dining room chandelier and the seller wants to take that with them, then they got to make sure they're excluding that and specifically refer to it. But go the extra mile, do the extra little detail work. Don't just put fridge, stove, washer, dryer. Describe them in further detail, you the know, by you serial number, by make, description, take pictures of it, video. Make sure you're getting the right ones included, okay? Make sure those weren't staged appliances that are not staying and they're going to be replaced you know, by lousy appliances at the end of the day, you want to know which ones are actually included. There's a lot of value to that, right? Yep. And you're doing a valuable service for your clients. And, you know, nobody ever thinks about these things until things go wrong in closing, right? Yep. But it's all about being proactive and it's all about going that extra mile. And, 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 and listen, if a client sees that you've documented everything, that you've done the work, and then the seller you know, um, does something that's out of context, you know, at, at least they're not blaming you for it because they you'll know that you did everything in your power to protect them if, if what you could have done, right? Right. Right. So if you're on the seller side and you, know, you got to have that discussion with the seller, you know, what is it that you really want to take with you? You know, what really has value? Can you use this in your next place? If not, you're just taking it with because, you're going to throw it out later, then what's the point? Just let them know they're going to, you're going to leave that and let them throw it out if they don't want it. But make it clear in your agreement what you want to take out and what you're leaving in. 
and and it also has to be clear what's being put in there for staging purposes only and not and not staging like if you change a whole bunch of light fixtures for staging purposes the buyer is expecting those light fixtures to be there when you close so you got to make sure it's clear that you know certain light fixtures are going to be changed and, and you know there'll be another light fixture there but not that but you don't want to get into these disputes you know down the road you know because it uh, you know the day before closing the buyer went in for an for a viewing and saw that you know all the the appliances have been changed and all the light fixtures have been changed and all the draperies gone and things like that those are things that blow up deals really late in the game yeah and you can't do anything about them right like if you have if you have a crystal chandelier in the dining room that you know the the couple got from their parents as a wedding present and it has huge sentimental value, right? If an offer comes in that's $300,000 over, over market value and the buyer digs in their heel and says, no, I need to have that chandelier. How are you gonna look at your sellers and say, oh my God, mm -hmm. you know, we're in this catch 22 situation. Right. Okay? Your job as a professional, never to get there, right? right? And when you sit down with them and have a conversation about, hey, what's staying, what's going on, oh, that light chandelier has to go, okay. Let's take it down. Let's replace it with somebody else. Right. Take it down so the buyers never see it. Right. Right. They and and you're see not. It, it's part of the negotiation. And you're not putting your people in that situation where there could be that situation where the buyer digs their heels and says, "Hey, I need to have that chandelier. Like I'm giving you right. an unbelievable offer. The one thing I'm asking for is that chandelier." And you're like, "Oh my god!" Right. Yeah. So, but if you have the right conversations, if you do the right work up front. You know, don't don't put your sellers in that situation. It's your job as a professional to make sure that doesn't happen. And, and there's very easy ways of making sure it doesn't if you just, you know, put the time and energy beforehand. Yep. You know, and then there's always issues that come up you know, with certain things. You know, what's a fixture? What's not a, a fixture? Uh, you know, with, with built-in TVs and speaker systems and things like that. You know, what can you take out? What can't you take out? You got to give it all some thought in advance and make it and make it really clear in your agreement of purchase sale what's going to go, especially we're in those gray areas when it's, you know, we just did one. It was it was a, over a six million dollar sale and they got top dollar for their sale and everything. And then, you know, the, my selling client was, you know, can I take these speakers out there? You know, they're, they're in the wall and they're sort of in the wall. It was really gray whether they're fixtures or are they bolted in or are they not or the removable. And he really wants these speakers and. And the buyer is expecting the speakers to stay. It's part of the sound system and the TV system and everything. And I said, well, you know, like, what are you going to do with these speakers? If you take them out and how much are they worth? Like, you know, you want me to spend a couple thousand dollars of my time negotiating whether we should be, whether you have the legal right to take these speakers out when it's really a gray area and you can, and you're not even going to use them in the condo you're moving into. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You got $6 million for the sale. Like, don't get petty on this on this stuff but it happens all the time it happens so, all the time and and these conversations are more important than ever because it's never the big issues that blow up deals it's always the small issues that could have been dealt with if, if you took the right steps before listing the property yeah, right yeah. and I, I i'm sure you see it all the time it's like sometimes like i can't believe they're fighting over the bar stools right but you know it, it, it and listen you have to keep your your sellers and your buyers emotions in check as, as right. a realtor, you know, don't not fuel to the fire. Don't let the conversation escalate and never lose sight of the fact that you're here to close a transaction and you got to work together. Right. You know, another place, you know, we find that there's ambiguity and agents get in trouble on these is with dealing with rental items um, like furnaces, hot water tanks, uh, filtration systems. Some are owned, some are rental. It's got to be made really clear in the agreement of purchase and sale, whether, you know, whether it's a rental item and the buyer is going to assume the rental, whether it's a lease to own, is there a buyout that the, that the seller has to, you know, because if, if it wasn't listed as a rental, it's considered to be owned. The buyer is expecting ownership. So if the seller never finished paying for it, because it was on a lease to own, there's a big lump sum that the seller is going to have to pay to buy that out. And, uh, you know, and, and that's something, you know, we talked about before when, uh, sometimes there isn't enough money to close a transaction. That's another factor that comes in because all of a sudden they got to pay, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars to finish paying off a furnace on a on a what was supposed to be a long term lease to own. 
but they sold it, the property on the basis that there was no rental items and no assumption of a lease to own agreement. Buyer, uh, you know, bought it on the basis that the, that it was all owned equipment. So now, sellers got to buy it, finish buying it to leave it there for the for the purchaser. You know, did they account for that? It could be a significant amount of money. And look, home builders right now are pushing the boundaries on 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 material cost, on on, on profit. Right? They're finding they're trying to find. Uh, different ways and different avenues of cutting their expenses. And we're seeing on the new builds, especially, you know, these compact units um, that do water heating and, and, and heating the house. And, and these are expensive units and, and more yep. and more often they're rentals, right? Yep. So you have to ask the right questions. You have to look, if you're selling a new complex or a newer complex and you see one of these units, look at past listings, right? Talk to your seller, get something in writing from them that they're not renting um, the, uh, the, the, the furnace or the hot water boiler system, uh, you know, from, uh, from anybody and that they own it free and clear and they're not paying a monthly fee. Uh, you have to go the extra mile and you have to be vigilant now more than ever before. Yeah, and, and if you're on the buyer's side and these things are owned, okay, well, that's great. But you also wonder, like, how old are they and what's their useful life? Because if it was a rental hot water tank and it broke down, you call the rental company, they just bring another one and you still pay the same monthly fee. And now you got a new hot water tank. If it's owned and it's on the last, it's on its last legs, you own it. When that breaks down after you own it for a couple months or a year, you got to replace it at your expense. You want to know that on the buyer side. Even in a condo, there's certain heat pumps and things like that that, that might be owned by the unit owners. It, it, how old are they? When were they last replaced? Because they might be functioning at closing, but it could break down two months after closing, a year after closing, and, and you as a new owner are stuck with that replacement costs. So it's all useful information to have. Okay. Um, another thing I want to mention is, you know, HST, is always a factor on on transactions used residential property uh, there is no hst payable on a closing so you got to know the property if it's a commercial mixed use property there could be hst payable on some of it but not the residential part you know these are important things to know uh, is it um is this property going to be treated it might be you think it's a used property but it might be a substantial rebuild and actually treated as a new property so hst could be payable so you got to take a look at it if there's been a you know, major renovation to a property because it could be treated as new. So, you know, just just another area that agents sometimes get a little bit in trouble because they're not putting their minds to that and just assuming, oh, I use I used you know I generally work in the used residential market. HST isn't payable, so I don't worry about HST. But okay, but this happens to be a substantially renovated property. It might be treated by the government as new, and HST is payable. So know your property, understand, have some basic understanding of HST. You're not sure, then you, you, you call me up or you call somebody up, call you up. You can, you can straighten them up uh, as well. Either of us could do that. So yeah, those I are important. When I deal with HST, whenever you're representing the buyer, you want it to be in addition to. And whenever, um, sorry, whenever you're representing the buyer the other way, you want right. it to be included, included. in. Included. And whenever you're representing the seller, you want it to be in addition to, right? Yeah. And then, you know, really, you don't have to really know uh, what rules come into effect. It's really the party that you're representing and, and you're safeguarding your client. So again, seller, it's in addition to, and buyer is included. Right. And, and just try and have some general understanding whether HST should apply or not. Okay, if it's clearly a used residential property and there's been no substantial innovation, you don't really have to worry about it. That's a mistake you can afford to make. Yes. Um, I have to pause for a minute. Okay, all right, no problem. All right, on that note, we're gonna wrap it up here. Um, we're gonna continue the conversation on the next podcast. I think we gave everybody like a lot of great tips. And again, my message for everybody is go and listen to some of the other podcasts because we go a lot more in depth into a lot of the uh, areas that we covered today. 
But yep. we do see these pitfalls in the agreements of purchase and sales and how agents are constructing their transactions. So I, we thought it's really important that we touch on some of these and, and we're going to finish off the list on the next podcast as well. Yeah, we covered most of it, but we'll get back to a few other things. And um, everybody just, you know, do your homework. It's take stock of what you're doing, how you're doing things. That's sort of the real message here, whether you're an agent, a lawyer or in any other industry. Uh, you know, we all want to just raise the bar of our own professions. Uh, so let's get out there and, and have, let's get the year off the right way. And everybody stay safe. Lots yeah, going on out there. Stay safe. This new virus is highly contagious. So at yeah. one point or another, I think everybody's going to deal with it on, on one level. And, uh, you know, take care of yourselves, eat healthy, exercise, lots of vitamins, um, and take care of your loved ones as well. Wishing you a very prosperous 2022. And David and I both look forward to spending a lot more time with all of you guys. So thank you for tuning in and tune in next time for, for the conclusion. And next time we're actually gonna bring Sabia Lee, the broker oh, yeah, of record for Sutton Summit Realty. And uh, I can't wait for you guys uh, to meet Sabia. She's a wonderful leader. Um, and uh, she's a big reason why Sutton Summit has enjoyed the success that we have over the last 18 months. So can't wait for you guys to meet her. Absolutely. I'm so excited for that podcast with her. It'll be fabulous and looking forward to Chevy and I and Clark Griswold, all of us are looking forward to that. And everybody have a good week and we'll see you next week. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market and dive deep to understand the issues affecting buyers, sellers, investors, and businesses. If you love real estate as much as we do, sit back, relax, and gain an insider's edge to the exciting world of real estate. David Gorski is a broker and the owner of Sutton Summit Realty, a powerhouse brokerage providing guidance to over 180 realtors. And David Corman is a partner at Corman's LLP, a respected law firm specializing in residential and commercial real estate transactions with offices located in Toronto, Mississauga, and Markham.